Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Once again, I'm pleased to bring you the audio of our senior chapel talks from this past week by Jordan Bell, Caleb Braha, Yang Lewis Liu, and Laura Lee McDowell, TMI Class of 2019. Our first featured talk is by Jordan Bell. Jordan began attending TMI as a freshman. She's hoping to attend Furman, Pitzer, or Elon University this fall and is planning to study environmental science or psychology. When not in class, you'll most likely find Jordan playing the harp or softball. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. For the longest time, I have tried to blend into my surroundings. I viewed many of my differences as just one more thing for the people around me to dislike. We have grown up in a society that tells you how you should look and act. The older I get, the more I feel pressured to fit into these molds that everybody has crafted. Sometimes it feels as though if I fail to fit into every mold, I will somehow disappoint everybody. I know now that this is not true, but I had thought this way for many years. I attended the same school, kindergarten through fifth grade. This was where I met my best friend, Alana, and we were inseparable. My grade was known throughout the entire school for being the best at getting along, and I was good friends with most of the people in my grade. Despite this, I was not totally comfortable with sharing everything about myself with my friends. The first time I noticed this was in second grade when I did a project in which my entire class was assigned to draw what everybody thought they wanted to be when they grew up. At that time, I wanted to be a sharkologist, a term that only existed in my seven-year-old mind. I know now that this would be called a marine biologist. Earlier that year, I had discovered a love for sharks during a science project in which I was assigned to research tiger sharks. Yes, I love sharks. I think that they are the most beautiful and majestic creatures. I, however, was too embarrassed to admit this to my class because I thought that I would be made fun of. Instead, I decided to say that I wanted to be a hat salesperson. Ignoring the fact that I, for some reason, thought a hat salesperson would be more acceptable than a sharkologist. Looking back for me, it is both strange and sad that at the age of seven, I felt the need to hide my interests from my classmates. I had no reason to hide anything from them because I know that they would have supported me in any of my interests. The insecurity I had from fear of judgment would be something that I got to know much better during middle school. My self-confidence dropped at the age of 11 when I moved from Massachusetts to Texas. Nothing was familiar to me. It felt as though I had moved to a new country. I was in a new house, going to a new school, and had to make new friends. Middle school is generally a chaotic time filled with self-doubt and uncertainty. 
I found myself retreating into the shell of a painfully shy sixth grader. My close friends and family know me to be very talkative and somewhat obnoxious, but when it comes to new people and new situations, I have always been somewhat of a shy person. In middle school, I went from being a shy kid to barely speaking at all. I felt that as the new girl, I was already bringing enough unwanted attention to myself. I thought that talking to people would only make it worse. Everybody in my grade had practically known each other since preschool, and this made it hard to find a group of friends. I found a group of friends, but I still felt as though I did not exactly belong. I was so desperate to fit in that I grew self-conscious of everything that I did. I started parting my hair a different way, I talked differently, I listened to different music. This affected my personality at home as I began to be more quiet and guarded around my family and other friends. During those three years, there was not a time when I did not want to move back to Massachusetts. I never stopped feeling like the new kid in middle school, but I thought that I could change this feeling in high school. My freshman year at TMI started out the same way as middle school. I again became the girl who barely talked. I was still not confident enough to show my true self, and I was determined to leave this behind me. The longer I'm here, the more I feel comfortable and come out of my shell. I took a risk during my sophomore year and decided to try out for the softball team, having never played the sport before. My friends had been urging me to join softball for several years, and I needed the sports credit, so I decided to try it out. Before long, I realized that I really loved the sport. Even though adding softball to my life made my schedule a little chaotic, joining softball has probably been one of the best decisions I ever made. Not only have I discovered an amazing sport, but I have also been exposed to an incredible group of people. My teammates have the best qualities of being kind, genuine, and all-around amazing. Being in this atmosphere has helped me to feel more comfortable and confident. I never felt as though I needed to pretend to be somebody that I am not when I am with them. It took a lot of courage for me to join softball, and I'm so glad that I did. I now have the most amazing group of friends, both on and off the field, that I can trust and never fail to make me laugh. Now that I'm older, I understand that you should not have to pretend to be somebody that you are not in order to be liked. You are beautiful and amazing just the way you are and don't ever let anybody try to change that. Being your own person and expressing yourself is a process. It does not happen overnight, nor do I think it should. If I could go back in time and tell my younger self something, it would be this. Be as much of yourself as you possibly can. Be funny or quirky or loud or artistic or whatever you want to be. And in this process, if people in your life try to get you to act differently or if they are mean to you because of your differences, know that those people probably should not be in your life. You should be surrounding yourself with positive people. These people do not have to like the same things as you. 
In fact, they could be the polar opposite of you, but as long as they are supportive of your decisions, keep them around. The goal that I have for every person in this room, including myself, is to do something every day to show the world a little bit more of who you are. Break out of that mold that people want you to be in and just be you. Thank you. Our second featured talk is by Caleb Braha. In his talk, Caleb describes in humorous detail the awkwardness of life as a middle school student. As he grew up and learned to live life for himself and not based on what others might think, he discovered new passions and found lasting friendships. Thank you for listening, and now enjoy this senior chapel talk. Middle school, a time when many of us, myself included, took the endeavor of our first romantic relationship. And I am sure that all of us, not just me, also felt that the concept of even having a girlfriend was unreal because we had all spent the last two years convinced that nobody would date us, ever. If you were me, which I am assuming you all are, you did the only thing that made sense. After starting your day with morning chapel at St. Luke's Episcopal Middle School and as your grade was leaving the chapel, you initiate the first step, locating where she is. You want to talk to her, but she's chatting with her friends. You know better than to insert yourself into the conversation, because you don't want to be one of those guys who is controlling and doesn't let his girlfriend have time with her friends, but you also feel you, sh you shouldn't talk to your friends, because what if she wants to talk to you, but then sees you talking to your friends and doesn't want to interrupt because she doesn't want to seem like one of those controlling girlfriends, doesn't let her boyfriend talk to his friends? So you do the only thing you know how. You stay in the general vicinity and keep to yourself without talking to anyone, which is not at all creepy. This becomes a regular occurrence that happened almost every morning for several months. It was the start of a relationship that was more or less you puppy-dogging a girl around and doing and saying whatever you felt would make her happy regardless of what you wanted. That is until about eight months later when you learn one of life's many truths, that middle school relationships don't last more than eight months. A few years before that, you were 12. Just like me and just like me, you had finally found your first actual friend group. Considering that you'd spent a good chunk of your elementary school recesses reading and rereading any book that said Percy Jackson or Warriors on the cover, having friends was a more than welcome change. Naturally, you decided to be the best gosh darn pal you could, and well, you tried. You desperately wanted these friends to like and approve of you, so you tried to be the funny guy. Of course, there was that voice in your head saying, listen, you're not funny. But the thing is, you really, really wanted to be funny, so... Yeah, you're going to go with that. As a result, you quickly learn how to make up for quality with quantity. After all, if you say something stupid about once an hour, occasionally it's bound to make someone laugh. Anytime this happens, you feel the need to tell your amusing anecdote to all of your friends because it is essential that they are fully aware of your vast comedic value. Turns out to be rather difficult to keep track of who you have or haven't told a specific thing to, so you end up repeating yourself to the point where a Concerned Pierre actually pulls you aside to say, um, I don't know if you knew this, but I think you have short-term memory loss. So yeah, you go from being comical to annoying. It was around this time that you got your first cell phone, the doorway into the next stage of your social life. See, around fourth or fifth grade, it was when the social behavior of Woodridge students evolved from playdates to hangouts. And while you did perfectly average on the playdate raft, 
it had sunk, and Sir Charles Darwin seemed to have run out the room for you on the hangout yacht. And once you missed the yacht, it's all over. But the cell phone changed everything, for with a cell phone, one does not need to be directly on the yacht. They can text someone on said yacht and have them throw a life raft, thereby bypassing this whole middle school social Darwinism. This great scheme of yours fell flat when your dearest friends rarely, if ever, chose to respond to their text. So to increase your odds, you text in bulk, sending every friend you can think of a simple hi individually. Not in a group chat, mind you, for this is 2012, and you're also a bit behind the technological curve. At, this, at first, this technique yields good fruit. For every other time, at least one friend responds, so you're feeling fairly, fairly good about yourself. That is until one day at school when they ask what is going on with the way you text. As it turns out, they are often all enjoying some friendly camaraderie without you with one another when suddenly one of them gets a text. They look at it to see what they had, you had just texted them, the word hi. They don't feel like responding, so they kind of just put in their pocket. Almost immediately afterwards, another one gets the exact same text from you. They still don't think a lot about it, probably just, you know, weird coincidence, but by the time the singular hi is received by the third and the fourth person and then the rest of them, they know better. It is not just a weird coincidence. You're just a pretty weird fella. You hang around these kids for about a year, attempting every twist and angle to get on their yacht, but none of them seem to work. Ironically, everything you do seems to further prove to them that you're just some weird kid who is kind of entertaining to have around, but nobody worth considering an actual friend. A few years later, you start high school at TMI. You start the year with a pretty simple morning routine. You wake up at 6, you get showered and dressed and whatnot, you and your mom leave the house at 6.30, you pass out for the 15 minutes it takes to get to the quarry by 6.45 because that is the official time the TMI shuttle arrives. It shows up around 7, you and the two other students who ride the shuttle get on, and then you pass out until you wake up as you're driving through the TMI gates at around 7.30. From there you walk to first period. Geometry with Miss Underwood, and you wait until the bell rings at 8. Eventually, Miss Underwood reasonably asks why you are always at class a solid 15 minutes before the bell. You don't really give an answer, but it makes you think, and you realize that you have nothing else to do. Partly because of your whole issue with friends, but still, you should have something to do. Most people have an interest or hobbies, but you didn't. You had invested all your time and energy into getting others to like you to the point where you didn't even know what you liked yourself. At this moment, you were a 15-year-old who had spent their life trying to live for others, and as a result was friendless and didn't even know what to do with yourself. So you turned inward. You spent a lot of time alone, and while that didn't make for the happiest couple of months, it allowed a certain freedom that had previously been alien to you. Now when you made a dumb joke in class, it didn't matter if anyone else did or didn't laugh because it made you laugh. Not only that, but you're able to find out that theater is what you honestly want to do with your life. And the new mentality of living more for yourself has honestly been a great. As it turned out that you were in fact not the only 15-year-old with a stupid sense of humor. There were others who laughed whenever a teacher said but. You also weren't even the only one who, when asked about the meaning of the Shakespearean phrase, the beast with two backs, immediately thought of the Bacchosaurus Rex. Plus, you were able to make friends you were able to make friends through theater, choir, and acting workshops. As it turns out, friends are made through common interests and in social environments, not by trying to figure out how to make people like you. And then, having interests made it so you were no longer solely dependent on others to be happy.
I'm certain that an amount of you are at a, let's say, awkward period of your life where it might seem that everyone else has it all figured out and that you don't even know what you are. I know that there is no correct way to get through that, but all I can say is whatever you do, do it for you, not anyone else. For me, it was theater, and my life has been significantly better because of it. Right now, a script that I wrote is being considered for professional production by a professional producer, not just someone at TMI. And of course, if it did get produced, I would play the lead. Not only that, but I was recently in a film that premiered in an actual movie theater. I've gotten scholarship offers for a big acting school in New York City, and I currently have friends who know me so well that while playing charades, I had to portray, I had to portray Scrooge McDuck. So I just went, man, to which he was like, oh, Scrooge McDuck. I really don't want to end this by just restating what I learned, so let me put it to you this way. Would you rather be a sad 15-year-old who is dependent on their friends to enjoy life but has no friends, or would you rather, you know, have friends and enjoy your life? Thank you. Our third featured talk is by Yang Louis Liu. Louis began attending TMI as a freshman. He'll be attending the University of Pennsylvania this fall and plans to study mathematics. When not in class, you'll most likely find Lewis playing the piano or reading a book. Thank you for listening, and now enjoy this senior chapel talk. In 1046 CE, a philosopher in China wrote an essay to boost the tourism of a certain lake. But near the end of the essay, he shifted from describing the scenery of the lake into pondering over an ideal way of life. That is an actual lake that still exists today, a fantastic vacation spot, really. And they actually waive your entrance fee if you can recite this essay as written precisely 10 centuries ago. Naturally, I memorized the entire essay for the possibility of a free admission, though I have never actually been to this place. I am particularly fascinated by one sentence in this essay, advocating for an attitude that can be roughly interpreted as neither pleased by the ex external gains nor saddened by one's personal losses. Let me try to put it in a different way. Life never goes without turbulence. Fragile relationships, fluctuating grades, or even winning a lottery can very easily cause an impact in our emotions. Therefore, it is essential to keep your emotions within an optimal range. Don't turn to the dark side when you experience a pitfall, and don't overreact either when you receive joyful news. Let me share with you my baseball story where my emotions got into my way, but before that, I will give you some context. For those of you who don't know, I actually played baseball for the past three years. Prior to joining the team, however, I had neither played nor watched a baseball game, nor had any knowledge of any of the rules of this sport. I was, of course, the worst player in the team. The first baseball game I had ever played took place on April 19, 2017. It was the day before my birthday. It was near the end of the game, and I managed to get onto the first base by not swinging my bat at all. And after a teammate had a decent hit, I ran toward a second base. I assumed that the second base works the same way as the first, and thus ran past it victoriously instead of stopping through some fancy sliding. Until this day, I still clearly remember the way how my opponent's facial expression changed from disappointments as I approached the second base 
into an annoying smile as I ran straight past it without slowing down. He then happily tacked me out, leaving me standing confusedly as my team yelled at me. They explained that rule to me afterwards, and I was depressed for the following few days, joining in the shame of my failure. How could I play two years of baseball but still not know how the game works? I started to doubt myself. It was the first time when I seriously took into consideration of the possibility that I was perhaps a total moron. I could not focus on much things during the several days after the game. Pure sadness and diminishing confidence pushed me into a state unsuitable to even talk normally. Luckily, I had been a calm person, and this misfortune lasted less than a week, during which no important matter needed to be attended to. This failure amplified itself through my emotions, causing unnecessary depression that could have affected other areas of my life and make things even worse, causing more depression and just spiral down on this loop. Say if the AP exams were to be two weeks earlier, I would have definitely done disastrously in them. Too much sorrow can cause tuckle cardiomyopathy, but an excessive dose of positive emotions can be harmful as well. Here's an example of that. I was in fifth grade and was selected to compete in an 800-meter running race for a track meet. I got so happy and excited that I decided to have a practice run the day prior to the competition. It was raining that day, but of course my enthusiasm was not quenched by a little rain. When I got back home, my clothes were soaked in rain, and by the time I changed into dry clothing, I already started to sneeze. Throughout the following week, I suffered from a terrible cold accompanied with fever. The school ended up having to replace me with someone else for that track meet. To be clear, this is not saying that you should be indifferent and dull to exciting things happening around you, but rather that it is sometimes beneficial to keep one's enthusiasm in check to prevent things from getting out of hand. Confidence, another attitude generally perceived to be positive, can also harm you, in fact, given an enough quantity of it. For countless times have I made calculation errors in a test simply because I neglected them for being too simple and took a too prideful mindset in approaching them. Even if you are already more than proficient at some task, do it attentively with caution so that there is no potential space for regret. Try and suppress your tendency to go too fast simply because the content is easy. And as such, maintaining one's emotion within a certain boundary is an effective way of life that allows you to avoid unnecessary mistakes. Then are you saying that we should try to become emotionless robots? You might ask. Certainly not. This would only lead you down to a path of becoming a psychopath. Emotions are helpful. They help us to make quick decisions while making our lives colorful. However, there will be times when an overwhelming emotion is going to lead you into doing something stupid later upon realization. And when such moments do come, try to push your emotions out of the way just by a little bit. Take a deep breath, talk to someone, tranquilize yourself somehow. Just as there is an optimal workload for machines, there is a prime range for the intensity of emotions that makes your life the most sensible and stable. Whenever you find yourself in the midst of a storm or something worthy of celebration or praise, just keep calm and carry on.
Thank you. Our final chapel talk from last week is by Lorelai McDowell. Lorelai came to TMI as a freshman and is hoping to attend Texas A&M this fall. She plans to study agricultural engineering and hopes to play basketball. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. The majority of my education has been spent in an Episcopalian school. Having Christianity as a core component in my education has helped me establish a moral compass and strengthen my relationship with God. The community, service, and morality that goes along with being in a religious environment are important parts of a balanced education. There are so many life lessons that you learn being in this type of environment. For example, in this school, the chapel talks or sermons we hear every day provide us with valuable life lessons. These kind of things are lacking in a more secular education environment. I know many of you are bored to tears and see this as nap time, but these teachings will help us get through difficult times in our futures. The installation of faith and morality early in our lives is becoming more important as religion becomes increasingly political. You may be criticized for your faith, but don't let this discourage you. It is okay to defend and take pride in your faith, even in the face of criticism. It seems like society is becoming more secular. Religion helps us reinforce a core sense of morality, a basic sense of right and wrong. Without a basic sense of right and wrong, it is easier to commit some of the horrible crimes we've seen in recent years. A person with a solid sense of good and evil is much less likely to perform a horrible crime if it violates their sense of decency. This is a key part of the basic fear of God. Without a basic fear of God and a sense of good and bad, the only deterrent from committing a temporarily gratifying evil act is the fear of getting caught. If the criminal isn't caught, then it leads to a sense of impunity. This paves the way for future wrongdoing. I feel that it is important to realize that God is a part of your day-to-day -day life. Even people that don't consider themselves religious will hope for divine intervention in a moment of crisis. We shouldn't only turn to God when it is convenient for us. The religious part of our education helps us understand that. There are a lot of things we'd rather be doing in school other than chapel. Sometimes it even feels like they're force-feeding it to us. But this part of our education can become very valuable when we least expect it. When I'm off in college next year, I have no doubt that the opportunity for me to do something stupid will arise multiple times. When that happens, I hope these things that, I have, been, that have been engraved in my brain will kick in like an instinct and prevent me from doing something I regret. This is the kind of thing that will keep me out of trouble and at the least keep me from looking like an idiot. Even though going to church may be tedious, don't take it for granted. Going to chapel in this school makes me feel like God knows he's still important in my life. I try to go to church when I can, but it seems like I'm always busy and it will only get worse in college. I wish I could go to church more and help more. I get to act like once every three weeks and I find that rewarding. At least it gives me a sense that I'm giving something back and I'll pass on what I've learned to the younger church members. Church is also a great place to find structure. This type of structure helps to keep families together and happy. Lessons taught through sermons teach about morality, compassion, and many other things that we all share in common. Studies show that if men attend church, they are more likely to have a happy and stable marriage, be involved in their children's lives, and less likely to get a divorce. Women who attend church are less likely to have children out of wedlock. Church also provides youth groups for fathers to spend time with their children and build relationships. I fear that as church attendance declines, family life and other important social constructs will deteriorate. 
By participating in church, parents will be more active in their children's lives and help guide them as they mature. The community in the church is very important to me also. When I lived in Corpus Christi, I was fortunate enough to go to an Episcopal school and through that I got involved in the Church of the Good Shepherd. At first it was fun meeting new people and making friends. I didn't know at the time how important that was until there was a big loss in my family. I was very close with my grandparents and lost both of them within a year. The community helped me and my family through our grief. Even little things like bringing us food meant a lot. This kind of empathy is invaluable during difficult times. TMI provides us with ex excellent academic training, but the religious aspect of the school is what makes it unique. With the knowledge and moral compass I have further established, I feel that I'm well prepared for the next, next big step in my life. This is reinforced with the discipline I've learned in the core. Thank you to the school teachers and coaches in this school that have helped me become stronger mentally, physically, and spiritually. Lastly, to the core, thank you for keeping the traditions of TMI alive. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.